Tonight, for the 10th time in about a year, the Fed has indeed raised interest rates. You're listening to Simply Money, presented by Allworth Financial. I'm Steve Sprovac, along with Steve Ruby. So, Ruby, everybody thought the Federal Reserve would vote to raise interest rates another quarter of a percent, and they surprised absolutely nobody by raising rates a quarter of a percent. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head there, Steve. Uh, interest rates, highest level in 16 years, though. So yeah. since 2007, we have not had the target rate of 5 to 5.25%, which is where we fall after today. Yeah. By, by the way, if you want to sound like you really know what you're doing about interest rates, just start using the phrase basis points. Basis points. And if yeah, you yeah, really want to sound smart, BIPs. There are a hundred, and I know you know this, but there are a hundred basis points in a percent. So when there's, you hear people say, hey, they raised them 25 basis points, yeah, quarter percent. There's also a hundred BIPs. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Th those are the same. So so that was no big surprise, and, and markets prefer no surprises. So mm -hmm. there wasn't any big swings right off the bat on either the announcement or Powell's statement. But you know, that that's what we wait for. It's not the statement that that he makes that's scripted. And, you know, you kind of know it's going to be real milk toast and, and no big surprises other than, okay, how much are we raising interest yeah. rates? It's the press conference after, and he's learned his lesson. He doesn't really go off script. He, he kept his answers to the questions pretty straightforward, but there were some interesting things that he said. Yeah, when, when, when Fed Chair Powell speaks, the markets listen. Yeah. The, we, we've had entire segments where we've talked about the, the word choices and the verbiage that the Fed chooses to use. Oh, and when, when he first started doing these press conferences, you could just, you knew when he opened his mouth because that's when the market would just start going down, down, down. Yeah. Because he would say things that probably were truthful, probably honest, but markets don't always want to hear I, that. I couldn't imagine the pressure. My palms yeah. would be so sweaty if I was oh, yeah. up there having to think about every tiny little word yeah. that I say because yeah. the markets will tremble. You know, it, they, they did come out and say some things today. You know, should inflation and jobs data come in higher than expected? They're kind of setting the table that, you know, they are prepared to do yeah. more if, if greater monetary policy. Which is, you would want them to do. Right? Exactly. I mean, yeah. the, the, I don't want them to raise rates forever, but if yeah. the data showing inflation is getting bad, I would expect them to make a change in their expectation and, and their their process. You know, that I think that's that's pretty reasonable. Yeah, here's how crazy it gets where they're examining what he says. Did you know they actually some some guy out there put artificial intelligence language models into his speech to determine whether or not he was being more hawkish, which means raise rates or dovish, which means drop rates. Did it come back dovish? It, it actually came back hawkish. Did it really? But every economist I listened to, I read, and my own opinion is he's kind of dovish because he, he did say, uh, he, it's it's sometimes it's what he doesn't say. And there was no language either in a statement or the comments afterward indicating more hikes. Now, he didn't say I'm pausing, which was the big expectation is, all right, they're going to do this quarter percent and then take a break. But he didn't say... I'm going to pause. He said, we made no determination today about pausing. Um, that will be at the next meeting in June. Yeah, I mean, just like last time that, that we talked about this, it was uh, instead of saying inflation has eased, it was inflation remains elevated. Yeah. So I, I guess I could see where AI might come up with a hawkish, hawkish perspective from, from you know, language like that. Yeah. Um, what about banks? He, he said that banks uh, are resilient. He did, but did you notice how, and this is the big concern, is are there more banks that are ready to fail? 
he said, you know, he would have preferred if a regional bank took over First Republic. Instead, mm -hmm. obviously, it was J.P. Morgan, which is the, the country's biggest bank, the big bank, got bigger. Yeah, uh, you know, through it, he would have preferred a regional bank taking it over, but he kept his hands clean. The chair of the uh, of the Federal Reserve said the FDIC is doing its job. He, in other words, he said. Uh, that's their business. That has nothing to do with this press conference. I thought that was kind of interesting. It's like, all right, guys, you do what you do. I'll do what I do. I mean, that that is interesting because, you know, tremors in, tremors in the financial system, it's made banks more reluctant to, to loan right now. Yeah, yeah. And a side effect of that is that it, it, it curbs demand and it almost creates a situation where it's, it's mimicking uh, increasing interest rates. No question. No question. So it, it could be a snowball effect if things get out of control. But, you know, we, we, we talked about this on Monday with, with Chief Investment Officer Andy Stout when, when he was on the show. Yeah. That's a question I hit him with and I, I've hit it with him. I, I've hit it hit him with it every time I've talked to him on the show is, you know, what's going on with banks? Well, and, and he didn't, uh, keep in mind, Powell never said we're out of the woods. A matter of fact, he kind of threw the San Francisco Fed a little bit under the bus. I, I don't know if you saw this, but he, he was asked about the banking system. Is, is it still a concern? Do you, or do you still worry about the solvency of some banks? Mm -hmm. And he did, uh, Powell said, yeah, banking conditions have broadly improved. But then he said, but we did have a February 14th uh, presentation made to the Federal Reserve that did mention the Silicon Valley Bank and their issues, and they didn't seem to think it was a big problem at the time. That tells me he threw the San Francisco Fed under the bus because he just said, you guys missed it. That bank wound up going insolvent, and that was a big deal. So it tells me that they they know that they got a black eye out of this deal, and I hope they don't let it happen again. You're listening to Simply Money on 55KRC. I'm Steve Sprovac, along with Steve Ruby, and we're talking about the announcements that came from Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell today. He also had some interesting comments about labor markets. Yeah, you know, while, while I have it in my mind, Steve, I, I got to bring it back to banks here. Yeah, you know, it, it's it's such a hot topic right now, and, and you're talking about Silicon Valley Bank and and we First need, Republic. And, yeah, First yeah. Republic and and Credit Suisse. You didn't mention. I feel like we need to to talk about that for a moment here because those banks were very poorly run. They were. That yeah. that's that's no secret here. That's that's why Andy Stout agrees with you know the statement that banks are resilient because you know some of these small regional banks that that went under, they they had you know a, a bank depositors had a bank run on the cash because those depositors for SVB, those were tech companies. Yeah. When interest rates rise, they weren't getting the same type of cash flow that they had been historically. So they're like, oh my God, we need some cash. And then Silicon Valley Bank had these long duration bonds that were, it was a greedy approach. And when interest rates went up, those bonds tanked. Well, I think the bottom line is any bank can have potentially have a problem beneath the waves that maybe their depositors aren't aware of. And are there going to be others? Well, maybe, you know, maybe somebody out there has a big portfolio of commercial real estate uh, that that's running the banking department or maybe big mortgages like uh, did First Republic. Yeah. You know, but with when Powell says he he considers conditions broadly improved in the banking sector, that tells me they've done their analysis. So you know, let's keep our fingers crossed on that. Yeah, and they have other ways to to help the banks too. It's not they they can banks can borrow from the Fed using yeah. their bonds as collateral, and they've they've used that to in, inject cash into their own balance sheet. So yeah. so that's something that's certainly helping the banks. Um, labor markets. Yeah, that's 
La- la- labor markets. And, and here's here's why I wanted to talk about labor markets, because the Fed started raising rates aggressively because of inflation. It was mm-hmm. getting out of hand. Well, when you have wage inflation, when companies have to start paying their employees higher salaries, give them large increases because they need to keep them, um, whatever the reason is, uh, stuff costs more and the employees say, I'm going somewhere else unless you raise my, my uh, paycheck. Um, that kind of becomes a self-fulfilling pro- uh, prophecy. Um, that helps inflation. In the industry, we call it anchored. Yep. It, it makes inflation tougher and tougher to bring down. And, and the comments that Powell made were, were I, I thought were pretty interesting. He said, labor is now in better balance. We're getting better participation and the wage gains are actually slowing. That's good news. Yeah, they need the wage gains to slow so that there's not as much money in the markets. When there's not as much money in the markets, demand goes down and inflation goes down. Exactly. So, yeah. you know, that that you bring that up and I see that as, as more of a dovish I, yeah, perspective. No, no question. Yeah. When, when the labor numbers start improving um, to help bring down inflation, because that's that was one of my biggest surprises from today's statement. Yeah, that's been a sticking point. That's yeah. been an issue that the Fed has been dealing with. And then remember, they don't always have the all the information in front of them. And there, there, there's a lag time for the decisions that they make for how long it's going to take before this these effects actually are felt in, in, in the economy. So um, I know you've gotten questions. I've I've gotten several questions just today. So what do you think? Are we heading into a recession? That was discussed today. And and the Chairman Powell um, kind of surprised me that he thinks we're doing okay. Yeah, I mean, he's going to say that. That's 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 the goal, though, of all this is to slow the economy. Yeah. Uh, technically, there can be a soft landing yeah. that is possible. And, of course, that's what they're aiming for. But it's a natural part of the business cycle. Recessions happen. It is, but does it have to happen now? Now, I I got started in the business in 1981, and I saw the tail end of massive rapid increases in interest rates under Paul Volcker, and he raised rates so aggressively that it knocked us into not just one, but two back-to-back recessions. recessions. Yeah, so I think that's everybody's big fear that's been around a while is, okay, are these hikes going to put us into a really deep recession and and make the current cutbacks and layoffs look like child's play? And what Jerome Powell said was um, he expects GDP will grow modestly this year, which, you know, everybody in attendance is agreeing well, that sounds like he doesn't think we're going to be in a recession. If they can pull off hiking interest rates as aggressively as they did and we do not go into a recession, they nailed it. Yeah, I, you know, I would be a little surprised, unfortunately. But, you know, you're right. They, they will have nailed it if that's what happens. We'll see. And, and that's why today's press conference, like all of the uh, conferences with the, the Federal Reserve, are always going to say, but if the data changes, our opinion will change. Here's yep. the all worth advice. If you have a long-term financial plan, congratulations. You've been weathering stormy seas, and it's going to pay off. Coming up next, a lesson on exchange-traded funds. You're listening to Simply Money on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money, presented by Allworth Financial. I'm Steve Sprovac, along with Steve Ruby. If you can't listen to Simply Money every night, just subscribe to get our daily podcast. You can listen the very next morning while you're commuting, at the gym, whatever you happen to be doing. And if you think you've got some friends that could use some advice, tell them too. Just search for Simply Money on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Straight ahead, we're answering questions about Roth conversions, 401k contributions, and more. It's our Ask the Advisor segment again. That's coming up. You know, Ruby, it, it, it seems like we maybe we can watch Reds games on Bally Sports a little bit longer yeah, for the time being. At least for the time being. Yeah, just, some good news. Kind of, I guess, right? Yeah. Uh, John Orand of Courier, which is a sister publication for the uh, Sports Business Journal, reported that Diamond uh, Sports has paid the Reds. That's what we were waiting on. Well, and and, and that's surprising to me. I kinda, it is. I kind of wrote them off because Diamond Sports is the parent company of Sinclair Broadcasting yep. that runs Bally Sports of Ohio. So when I turn on the Reds, I was watching the Reds last night, and I'm thinking to myself, wonder how much longer I can watch the Reds because they didn't get paid. And it's a 50, maybe $60 million contract. And the parent company of Bally Sports Ohio, they filed Chapter 11. And when that happens, you, you just figure, okay, it's toast. Yeah, that's kind of what I thought. I mean, Diamond, they missed their payment that was due on April 18th. And they were given a 15-day grace period, which ended today. Yeah. And, and they had just made their payment. So, you know, for the time being, we get to watch them. Uh, Major League Baseball did stand ready to take over the Red TV broadcast. That's kind of what we hypothesized. When, yeah, but when, I was wondering, do, would I have to pay extra for that then? Probably. Yeah, I know, right? But, yeah. but you know, it, it's, it's this payment has happened. There's still future payments that need to happen too. So I'm guessing if it's a quarterly payment, that buys us three months. Yes. And I hesitate to ask where the Reds may be in three months, but they're they're kind of surprising me right now. They're they're competitive. I watched last night's game. I, I mean, they're they're actually playing some halfway decent baseball. I mean, I, I I like going to the ball game no matter how good the team is performing. Yeah. I just like the environment. I like being out there. I like the food. It, it's a good experience. Uh, where I watch it on TV, I guess, isn't the most important thing. Yeah, uh, but you know, we get it for a little bit longer right good, now. Good news, at least for another what sounds like three, three months. months. And and it's good because I I think we've got the best announcing team in the country. I I mean, you know, the pre the pregame show, post game mm -hmm. show, I I've never seen anything like it. All right, so to, tonight we want to touch on a topic that I I know it confuses a heck uh, out of a lot of people. But, you know, we we talk about it all the time. We're talking about exchange-traded funds or ETFs. They, they've been around a while, but I don't think a lot of people really understand what they are. I mean, it's not that dissimilar from a mutual fund, but right. we're going to talk about some of those differences today because at the highest level, an ETF is just a bucket of securities that, that trades an exchange just like a stock. So you can trade it anytime yeah. the markets are open between 9.30 a.m. and 4 p.m. Eastern. It trades just like a stock. And mo most people don't realize if you want to buy or sell a mutual fund, you don't buy it when you call it in during the day. It doesn't actually get calculated for the value mm -hmm. and trade it until after the market closes. Yeah, until 4 p.m. That's, yeah. that's the price that you get. You don't know what it will be yeah. because it settles at 4 p.m. Okay, so let, let's talk a little bit about what is an exchange-traded fund or an ETF. I'll tell you what, what sold me on the concept, and I'm going back a good 10, 15 years. I don't think they're more than about 20, 25 years old, um, but mutual funds, they work. A mutual fund is a basket of either stocks or bonds or combination of securities, but let's just say stocks. So in a mutual fund, you know you get a whole bunch of different stocks. So if you're investing $1,000 instead of getting just shares of Procter & Gamble as an example, you might have Procter & Gamble and 200 others mm -hmm. in, in a mutual fund. So it's very diversified, which is a good thing. 
On top of that, you've got a, a, a fund manager that's deciding, okay, I want to sell this stock and buy something different. They're actively managed. Yeah. Most exchange-traded funds are not actively this is, managed. This is a key difference. So yeah. what that means is a lot of these exchange-traded funds, they're, they're passively managed, and they just look to mirror an index. Yeah. Like the S&P 500, for example, which represents the 500 largest U.S. companies. It doesn't take a genius to copy off of an index. Right, right. So the expenses are very low, and that's good for investors because we don't need to pay a ton to hold the, an ETF. The, the expense ratios are, are very low. And, and it's not just a little bit of difference. I, I mean, a lot of stock mutual funds have internal expenses roughly around 1%. Yeah. So in other words, if you got 9%, no, the fund actually made 10. They just gave you 9 and kept just that 1%. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and with an exchange-traded fund, it's not that uncommon to see internal expenses like 0.06%. Yeah. I mean, next to nothing because really all they're doing is it's kind of, uh, kind of a bookkeeping role. You know, you send yeah. in money and they split it among the... If you use the example of the Standard & Poor's 500... It's the same 500 stocks today that it was 20 years ago, that it will be 20 years from now. Or it could be large cap growth stocks. But the point is, on an exchange-traded fund, they don't buy and sell. It's the same basket of stocks. You know exactly what you're getting. And, and that really came into play in 2008. That's, mm -hmm. that's when I made the switch because in 2008, a lot of what you thought were conservative mutual funds that bought uh, large dividend-paying U.S. stocks, a lot of them took bets in, in growth and tech. And you didn't know and about whoops. it till after the fact. Yeah. And they got crushed. Near, why did I lose so much money in a conservative fund? Because they didn't have the holdings you thought they did. They changed them and they took a bet that maybe you didn't agree with at all. In an exchange-traded fund, you know exactly what you get. Yeah, I mean, as far as the managed portfolios that, that we use at Allworth, it's heavily invested in exchange-traded funds for that reason. It gives us lots of controls and control and it flows through as lower expense to investors. You're listening to Simply Money on 55KRC. I'm Steve Sprovac along with Steve Ruby, and we're talking about what is an exchange-traded fund. Okay, we talked about the advantages, low expenses, knowing exactly what the holdings are. There's got to be some negatives. I mean, technically, there, there are ETFs. This is a stretch, though, Steve, because I, I don't that? see too many negatives in, in ETFs, especially when you're comparing right. it to mutual funds. Technically, there are actively managed ETFs that can have a higher expense ratio. It's not just passive ETFs that exist. There yeah. are active as well. So you need to be cautious of that. Yeah, That's where a fund manager is still making decisions and making changes sometimes. But it still trades on the open market between 9.30 and 4 p.m. Yeah. when the markets are, yeah. are, are open. And they're few and far between. I, I didn't see actively traded ETFs until just a few years ago. In my opinion is if you want an actively traded ETF, well, why don't you just buy a mutual fund? I mean, that's kind of what it is. You yeah. Know? yeah. Some some of the expenses are still lower, though. Yeah. And and, and so an ETF is basically, it's an index uh, mm -hmm. strategy. It's an index fund. If you want large cap growth, large cap value, mid cap growth, mid bonds, whatever the case is, you can find an exchange traded fund and the holdings will remain the same for as long as you hold it in almost every case. Here's the Allworth advice. Talk to a, cert, a qualified financial advisor to see what role ETFs should play in your portfolio. Coming up next, how to know whether a financial advisor will protect your money from fraud and what you should do yourself. You're listening to Simply Money on 55KRC, the talk station.
You're listening to Simply Money, presented by Allworth Financial. I'm Steve Sprovac, along with Steve Ruby. So when people hire a financial advisor, they're, they're taking a big step because in a lot of cases, they're handing over their life savings. It, it's a big deal. So obviously, you want to make sure that your money doesn't disappear. And, and we're not talking about stock market losses. I mean, all you have to do, Ruby, is go back to Bernie Madoff. I, yep. I mean, that's that's the nth degree of a bad example. So what do investors need to do to protect themselves and feel comfortable that this guy who they're signing over their life savings to isn't going to take their money and run? I would start with working with a credentialed fiduciary financial advisor because there is a lot that we need to do to stay current within the industry. Uh, Cybersecurity is always on the forefront. Uh, We undergo undergo thorough background checks, uh, quarterly attestations. There's uh, ongoing education. And you got through all that. I did. You know, so so did you. We both did. (laughs) Isn't that something? Uh, So cybersecurity is an important thing to talk about here. And and that's something that's always on the forefront of our minds as as fiduciary advisors. And I'm going to take a step back and even look at at a bigger picture. Because to me, the first thing you want to do is make sure you don't write a check to the individual. You write a check to the custodian. Oh, yeah. You know, big ones like TD Ameritrade, Fidelity, Schwab, you know. Big companies, because if you write that check to the custodian, to the bank that actually holds the securities, holds the funds in the account, you are automatically protected. Uh, And look for that SIPC little logo, because Mm -hmm. that stands for Securities Investors Protection Corporation. But that's fairly limited on the amount of coverage that you get through SIPC. Yeah, yeah. What is that amount again? It's... uh... Half a million dollars for securities, yeah, a quarter million for cash, which, you know, if you've got a 401k over 40 years, that doesn't cut it. So then you take a a hard look at, okay, what other coverage does does the custodian have? And they all have extra coverage because obviously half a million isn't enough. I I just looked at, I I Googled TD Ameritrade and they've got an extra $149.5 million of coverage for loss due to theft or fraud. That covers my 401k. $150 million makes me feel, I'm right close, but. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. By the time I retire, that might be a problem. Who knows? No, it's, yeah. um, I think Fidelity even said their claim that it was unlimited. Unlimited. Yeah. Unlimited. Yeah, I think yeah. I saw that also. So that's something to pay that's attention to. That's a big protection. To. Yeah, it is. And, and I do want to bring it back to what Steve said. There are individuals out there that might say, yeah, you can write me the check. Yeah. That's not the case when you're working with a credentialed fiduciary advisor. There's usually a custodian involved. That's why Steve brought up TD, Schwab, uh, Fidelity, because those are some of the big ones. Yeah. So so what about the uh, advisor's firm? What, what should they be doing? Well, you know, you know I, I think one of the, the things you want to take a hard look at with the firm is, okay, are, are they using a custodian? Mm-hmm. And secondly, um, when you have access to your account, and most websites give you access to your account through their website, if they're not using two-step authentication, um, I, I would not be comfortable using it. I, I mean, I want to I want to text with a separate code so that if somebody happened to get my account number, I know I've got my phone and I'm going to get notification. No, that, that's not me. Two-factor authentication yeah. is one of those things where sometimes people will grumble. Oh, I don't want to do this. Yeah. I don't want to deal with that. How many of these passwords do I have to remember? What is worse? Yeah, checking your text messages to enter in a code or losing your portfolio. 
Exactly. I, I'm a huge advocate of, of multi-factor authentication. This one might be worth asking your advisor to. Uh, the company itself should be blocking access to, to certain unsecured websites. While I'm at work on my work computer, there's tons of websites that I can't go to. Yeah, I saw you really frustrated the other day. Uh, yeah, I know. Yeah. I can't look at my Facebook <laughs> while I'm at work. Now, it's, um, it, it is important, though, because bad actors can use those yeah. websites to infiltrate secure systems. So it could be worth asking the question of your advisor if they block certain websites. You're listening to Simply Money on uh, 55KRC. I'm Steve Sprovac along with Steve Ruby, and we're talking about how you can protect yourself from losses. All right, not market losses. You can't protect yourself there if you're involved in, in investing. But how about theft or fraud? And, and you know, I, I've had a couple of people, unfortunately, that have been subject of, of fraud. I, I mean, yep. the, the bad guys out there, they're getting better and better every single day, it seems. Um, one of the things that I, I think makes a whole lot, uh, lot of sense to do is pay attention to what you're posting on social media. Yeah, okay? those, those questionnaires that yeah. where people tag you and it's all fun and games. You know, where did you go to high school? What was your first car? What was the name of your prom date? Yeah. It, it, That's it's, dangerous. it's asking you for security questions that you oftentimes answer for financial institutions, websites like your bank or like yeah. your advisor. Or here, here's a picture at uh, Grandma Smith's uh, house in, in her backyard. OK, they just got your mother's maiden name. Yeah. You, you know, things like that. You've got to watch out for and And that's your that's on you. That's your responsibility. Same thing with your your passwords. Yeah. No more password. One, two, three, four, Steve. You know, you can't do that. I, I promise to change it. You promise to change yeah. it. <laughs> I no, like I, it. Actually, we're, we're going into, I, I think it's 12 or, or 16 character passwords because the more letters and numbers and combinations of letters and numbers and special characters, tougher it is to break. And, yeah. and you know, they're getting good at breaking this stuff. Yeah, so a combination of, of numbers, uppercase, lowercase, unique yeah. symbols. There, there, there's ways to, uh, there's people out there that recommend telling a story, some kind of a long and personal story. Um, one for me, let's see, I'm, I'm sad that I started balding my 30s, but happy that I still look good. How about that? I could make that a password. That's a lie. It's a um, lie. <laughs> a, a, anyway, no, but, but in all seriousness, um, you know, there, there are, there's also a human factor that goes into this. And, and here's what I, I mean by that. So, okay, you, you've got a situation where uh, as, as a broker, as an investment advisor, as a CFP, you get an email from a client, hey, I'm on vacation, I'm in Tortuga. And you know this client is in Tortuga, okay? Mm -hmm. and, and he says, uh, I'm going to need some money wired down to my bank down here because I'm spending way more than I thought. What keeps a bad actor from having seen on that individual's Facebook that they're vacationing and emailing, a, you know, one of the firms that they think he may be dealing with? This is where the human factor comes in. Yeah. Most firms require a, a verbal confirmation from the client. I, I do this all the time. Um, hey, uh, saw that you need some money. Just need to know that that was you that sent me the email. What email? Okay. Yeah, or, or exactly. Of course it was me. Who else would send that? And you'd be surprised. You, you know, once you get humans involved and this gets back to knowing your customer, knowing, you know, the, the individual and what they're doing. If your advisor isn't going through these steps, take a hard look at what the security precautions are in there protecting you and your money. Again, if money got taken out, you're protected against loss due to theft or fraud. That would be theft and fraud right there. Mm -hmm. But still, you don't want to go through that hat. That, through that hassle. Yeah, I mean, I agree. It's it's just like with multi-factor authentication. Maybe yeah. it's a little bit annoying if, if the folk, folks that I work with, they email me and ask for a distribution. 
I pick up the phone and I call. Them. Absolutely. Every yeah. time I need that verbal confirmation. So how about some changes with uh, technology in the not so distant future, biometric, things like that? Yeah, uh, I, I think you should always use biometrics yeah. instead of a password. Facial recognition. That, that much safer, yeah. Here's the all-worth advice. It takes a village to keep your money safe from criminals, but it needs to start with you. Coming up next, you've got questions, we've got answers. We'll ask the advisor coming up. You're listening to Simply Money on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money, presented by Allworth Financial. I'm Steve Sprovec, along with Steve Ruby. you got a summer trip coming up, why you might want to wait to book your hotel. That's coming up. So if you've got a financial question you would like for us to answer, there's a red button that you can click while you're listening to the show on the iHeart app. Just record your question. It goes straight to us. We'd love to hear from you. First up, Deborah in Villa Hills says, I hear all the time about the age sweet spot for doing Roth conversions, but when should you not do a Roth conversion and conversion and why? Good question. It, it is a good question. And, and first and foremost, what comes to mind for me is if you're making a very high income and you're close to retirement. Yeah. Because what happens when you do a Roth conversion is you take your pre-tax assets, you pay taxes on those dollars, an existing IRA or a 401k, you can do that in some of these 401k plans, and you move it into Roth dollars. Yeah. So that's a tax event the year that you make that transition. But moving forward, you get tax-free gains on those assets, and it removes it from RMD yeah. consideration. Yeah, yeah, but do you want to do that taxable event? Do you want to do a Roth conversion when you're making lots of money? No. 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 Hands down, you, no, no, no. Usually, I see it makes sense when the person retires. So let's say you retired December 31st of 2022. January 1st of 2023 is where you might want to consider it, because if you were making eighty, dollars $100,000 in a relatively high tax bracket, and you drop down to just Social Security, mm -hmm. maybe a little bit of income off of your investments, um, lower tax bracket. Uh, yeah, that's when I would do the Roth conversion because, like you said, it's a taxable event. The other kicker is you got to wait five years for those earnings to come out tax free. Yeah, you, that's you, true. There's a time frame. Yeah, there. yeah. So if you're gonna if you're gonna be hitting up that Roth IRA in the very near term, um, yeah, you get your initial amount that you converted tax free because you paid tax on that, but the earnings which is where really you get the compounding over time uh, for that to be tax-free. It's a five-year hold. Yeah, I mean, this is one of those things where you certainly need to sit down and talk to a credentialed financial advisor, probably run it past a CPA too, because yeah, there yeah. are other moving parts. If, if you do a Roth conversion and you're collecting Medicare, your income goes too high, yeah. your Medicare premium can go up. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. There, you got to be careful. Yeah. yeah. So there's a lot of moving parts here. And, and the answer is when you should not do it, when you are still working for the most part, especially yeah. if your income is high. Exactly. So just uh, just because somebody ran a seminar saying everybody in that room should do a Roth conversion, no, not everybody yeah. should. Talk to your accountant and talk to your advisor. Okay, uh, Jerry in Deer Park, I currently have my 401k contributions going to four funds, 25% in each one, but there's a lot of other choices on the menu. Am I diversified enough? I mean, that's a loaded question from Jerry because it really depends on the funds that he's in. He might you know, be he might be in four large company stock yes, funds yeah. with the same holdings. Exactly. You know, and purposes. You want to yeah. have a, a mix of yeah. of stocks, bonds, maybe a sprinkle of cash in there. And when we're talking about stocks, that's just not all the S and P five hundred. Yeah, yeah. That's that's large cap, mid cap, small cap, international, international, international yeah. securities. They they don't correlate necessarily what's going on with domestic stocks. Sometimes they perform better, sometimes they perform worse. 
it's an important part of diversification. Yeah. I've also seen something in, with, with folks that I've worked with before that had um, tiered target date retirement funds. Yeah. Like yeah. 20, 20, 25, 2030, Just want to put it out there, Jerry, just in case. If that's what you're doing, you use one of those or none of them. Yeah. Or preferably none of them if your 401k gives you more options. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a loaded question and a good one. And if you can't do it yourself, find an advisor that will run all of your choices to find out which ones have the best track records and also how to mix them so it's within your risk tolerance. Mm -hmm. If you if you already have an advisor, Jerry, uh, they should be more than happy to help you do that. You're listening to Simply Money on 55KRC. I'm Steve Sprovac along with Steve Ruby, and we're answering your questions. And John and Loveland uh, is asking, my financial advisor is really good at explaining things to me, but it takes an arm and a leg to get him to even respond to my calls for help. I know he has other clients, but I have needs too. Is there a better way to approach this? John, your needs are impo more important than your financial advisor's needs. Yeah. That's what I would say. Yeah. Um, mm. New time for a new advisor if you can't get in touch with them. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, what I'm wondering is, oh, okay, um, you know, what's the reason behind this? Is he a commission advisor? Yep. If he's a commission advisor, there's no legal reason he even has to return your call, but he sure should. If again, we keep pounding away at fiduciary. If he's a fiduciary and charges a fee for service, they've got an obligation to get back to you. And if he's not, um, ask for the manager. Yeah. Fiduciary puts their best interest or your best interest ahead of, of their own yeah. is what I should say. And that's what I was going to point out. A commission advisor, maybe they already made their money off you. Okay. Jimmy in Green Hills. My advisor has me in a 70-30 target date fund in my 401k. I'm 44 years old. I thought target date funds aren't for everyone. Good question. Oh, I like this. It kind of goes along with uh, Jerry and Deer Park. Yeah. Uh, so Jimmy and Green Hills, um, if your advisor putting you target date retirement fund, he's I, not. He's not doing a lot of. Advising. Yeah, I, I question their ability to do their job because the, the folks that I work with, a lot of the times, the way we're paid as fee based fiduciaries is it, it's fees taken directly out of accounts that we're managing, such as a real retail account like an IRA or a brokerage yeah. account. We, we can't necessarily manage a 401k the same way, and we're also limited in the investment choices that your employer gives us to pick and choose from. But you better believe that as a fiduciary, it's important for us to make sure that your 401k investments align with your overall financial plan. Yeah. And, and candidly, a target date retirement fund versus some of the other uh, potential index funds that are available inside your 401k, they might be able to bring down the internal expenses by making a custom portfolio for you inside of that 401k. Yeah. The, the bottom line is target date funds, in, in my view, they're okay if you don't want to do the work and you don't want to hire anybody to do the work or better or nothing. But there's almost in every case, better investment choices out there. And just so you know, if it's 70, 30 today, 70% stocks, 30% bonds, by the time you're ready to retire, it may be 10% stock, 90% bonds. Yeah, I could say for the older you get. Yeah, that's the, that's the idea, which is fine sometimes. But if you were 10% stock, 90% bonds going into 2022, when bonds got absolutely crushed and you thought they were protecting you, um, yeah, that's a little bit of an issue. I'm not sure it was a, uh, it was a real good choice for you. Coming up next, would you wait until the week you travel to book your hotel? It could be worth it. Details next. You're listening to Simply Money on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money presented by Allworth Financial. I'm Steve Sprovec along with Steve Ruby. 
You know, a summer vacation sounds great right about now, especially warmer weather, but that can mean a lot of advanced planning, except for one part. Uh, you know, you're, you're going to uh, book your flights way ahead of time to make sure you've got a flight, but the hotel, you might just want to wait. You might. I don't know. According to Sky Scanner, you, you can save more than 20% if you wait to book your hotel until a few days before you leave. Too much courage for me. All right. I, you you I, got a youngster at home. Would you would you risk having your family not have a hotel before a you leave? I'm, I'm also a financial planner, Steve. So I plan <laughs> ahead for this type of thing. I set aside vacation money so that I can book the type of trip that I want to have. Yeah. If you need to save 20% on just the room and board portion of your trip, then maybe you need to save a little bit more or plan ahead a little bit more. Not that this couldn't work for those but, that want to get out there on a whim and have some fun for a long weekend. But, you know, those $1,000 a night hotels that you like to stay at, that's $200. $200. That's nothing, Steve. To you, man. No, I, I wish yeah, I could stay yeah, in places like exactly. that. Uh, yeah. Nerd Wallet says uh, if you book 15 days before you travel, you can save 13%. So, you know, it, it can add up depending on the types of hotels you're staying in. Uh, but that's, it's an important part of a vacation. You See, know? This is where this is where old guys like me, whose kids are grown and gone, this is where we get away with murder. Because okay. I I have actually, and I, I usually do this on road trips, but I I have actually okay. We need a place. I'm not going to worry. Let's see how far we get if we're driving, or let's just show up. And I've walked into hotels, and whatever the 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 price is, if they've got a room, I I, I always shake my head and I just say, you know, yeah, that that's not a bad price, but I I, I really don't want anything that's over, and I'll set a price lower. And about half the time they say, well, we can do that. Really? You, know, you negotiate with hotels always. on the on the fly? I negotiate with everything. It's fun. It's I a do game. too, but that's not something I've even thought of. You've, oh, yeah. You haven't taught me much, but now, you taught me something now, just now, now the, Steve. the problem with that is the number I used to set was $89. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> good luck. And that's not going to get you much of a hotel. My wife has fixed that. She said, you can't, there's nobody in this whole city that will give you a room for that price. And if they do, I'm not staying there. I know, so right? 80. We, we have changed those numbers a little bit. But sure, why not? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, honestly, I, I've done that before, bef uh, B.C., before children. You know, <laughs> my, my wife and I, we used to live out in, in New York and we got sick of the big city. And yeah. anytime we had a long weekend, we would head north and we would do these road trips around New England. Yeah. You go into those areas, there's enough places, especially if you're in, in the off season when it's negative 20 degrees. I've done that before. That, that was fun, yeah. heading up into New Hampshire when there's nobody there. Uh, I've done it. Yeah. So it can work. I wouldn't do it for a family vacation. No, no, no yeah. not at all. I actually, I usually find the best deals when you bundle them with the airfare. Some of those deals are pretty darn good. Here's the yeah. all worth advice. Maybe a better plan is to book a hotel that you can cancel in advance. Then you can keep looking around for a better deal or see if prices go down where you plan to stay. Hey, thanks for listening and tune in tomorrow. We'll be back and, and we're going to talk about all the reasons to think carefully about where you're going to retire. You've been listening to Simply Money presented by Allworth Financial on 55KRC, the talk station.